0: Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener, and if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Hey, everyone. This week, I'll be releasing a special series called Tough Talks on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. My hope is to provide a better understanding for myself and my listeners in regards to what is going on in the world when it comes to racism, discrimination, inequality, and other related issues that we're facing. For this first episode, I want to welcome back return guest Wayne Harris hey wayne uh thank you for making time for me um to come on to the vulnerable podcast as i mentioned when i reached out um you know you've been a previous guest but i wanted to sort of do a series this week and uh, just touch on some of what's been going on in the world and and just try and get a better understanding even myself um yeah as i mentioned probably in that email i've never really seen race i guess And, and i mean obviously i see it but i mean I've always had a multicultural group of friends and I don't know if that's just growing up in Toronto or what it is, but this whole situation has been hard for me to, to necessarily understand. And I want to get a better understanding. I want to provide my listeners with a better understanding. So again, I appreciate you taking the time
1: to, uh, to come on here. Oh, thank you, Brian. Always a pleasure to be in your presence and listen to wisdom and talk about things that matter to, to Canadians and people all over the world.
0: Awesome. So I mean, if it's not clear as to what I'm talking about in terms of like everything that's going on, uh, there's been a lot uh, going on south of the border, at least and and somewhat up here too, as well in terms of protests, uh, just in terms of inequality, uh, racism, a lot of different issues that have been going on. And and that was just piled on top of the whole COVID. So it's been uh, a hectic time. And yeah, so I mean, for me, I guess where I want to start is if you don't mind sort of know sharing a couple stories of when it's something that you've had to face in your life whether it be racism discrimination anything like that if you if you don't mind sharing some stories just to sort of I guess give context as to what you've been through and then from there we can uh, have some more discussion around it
1: okay so when did I first notice or was told that I was not the same as everyone else I was four years old playing in the sandbox at a park in Montreal. Shout out to uh, Notre Dame de Grasse, NDG. Right? Anyway, I was in the park with my mother and I came over to the sandbox and said, you can't play here. I go, what do you mean I can't play here? I'm four. What do you mean? I'm like, you're here, I'm over here, and we're doing our thing. He said, my mother said, you can't play here. I went and jumped out the sandbox and went to my mother and said, hey, this kid over here is saying that that uh, we can't, I can't play here. And she said, tell him to tell his mother that you pay taxes and you'll play here if you like. So there's two women with having their kids as messengers. And this is my first indication that she has a problem with who we are and my mother's not having any of it. That's That's incident number one. Incident number two, I was... I was in was it Army Cadets, and yeah, we were in Army Cadets. And I was doing my thing, and for whatever reason, we kept getting in trouble. And they said, you have to go count bricks. So we're counting bricks on a wall. So I did math. I went, how many bricks this way, how many bricks that way? And I multiplied. I said, I'm done. He goes, what do you mean? I go, I'm done. I multiplied this row by that row, and I'm done. And it was downhill from there with the... Uh, French Master Corporal that we we were we were subjected to. Third option. I'm in we're in a nightclub in the Plateau, which is near Université de Montréal, nice part of town. Summertime, just like this, and we go to the nightclub. And I'm driving. My brother and his friend. We drop his friend home. We we, we start driving, coming down to back to our neighborhood, and I see a cop car in my rear view. I said, okay, cop car, no big deal. this 1989. No big deal. Make a right-hand turn. He makes a right-hand turn. I said, "Okay, no problem. I'm going to make a left-hand turn." He makes a left-hand turn. When I get to the bottom of the street, six cop cars are there. Siren, not sirens, just lights. When we drive right up nice and slowly up to them, I said, "Keep your hands on the dashboard, to my little brother." And we'll wait to see what it, exactly it is they want the car is not tinted it's a 1990 nissan Sentra, so it's a newer car quebec they only have license plates on the back so they can only tell who you are from the back they don't have license plates in the front i don't understand why but we the guy comes over he said roll down the window yes officer hands are on the wheel 10 o'clock and two o'clock i said yes officer he goes where are you going home where's home Straight ahead. Who's that with you? This is my brother. License and registration, please. License and registration. He goes away. Six cop cars. It's three in the morning. I'm I'm two half blocks away from my house, so I I can't see my house, but I know where I'm where where I am. Three in the morning, maybe three thirty, and He takes about 10 minutes, and he comes back. He goes, okay. I said, okay. I said, is there a problem? He goes, no, you fit the description. I said, what description would that be? He goes, you fit the description. Carry on. Have a good night. And we continue to drive. So that night, I could have disappeared. Two years before that incident, a gentleman by the name of uh, Anthony Griffin was shot in the back while in police custody. He was cuffed. He was in the parking lot, supposedly the cops said he tried to run to get away and rather than run after a man who is cuffed behind his back, he chose to pull his revolver and shoot him in the back and kill him. That was my first protest, 1987-88. And that's when I knew that things were escalating between the black community and the police in Montreal. And even though I was in the Army Reserves, it would be my time to exit that province. And I did. November of 1990, I moved to Ontario. In all my years in Ontario, I've had two stoppages by the police. Stoppage number one was around 1992. My wife was driving the same car, Nissan Sentra, (laughs) Driving the same car near Humber College North Campus, and she was wearing a baseball hat. She had come to pick me up to drop me to school or something. And he pulled her over. did to pull us over, officer? He goes, Looks in the car, and he goes, Oh, okay. Sorry. I go, sorry for what? He goes, I thought she was an underage driver. Uh okay. And we continued on our way. No charges, no no incident, and we moved on. Two thousand and eight or nine. I'm coming home. This is in Toronto. I'm dressed impeccably. It's December 23rd, coming home from our Christmas dinner with some friends at the keg. Had a couple glasses of wine with dinner, but I, you know, being a veteran of the drinking game, I start drinking water between every round and then start drinking water until closing so i've got about two hours of water in me i'm six foot two and a half, two hundred and twenty 220 pounds at the time and ex-military I'm not gonna say i can hold my liquor but you know i've had experience with liquor over the years anyway shouldn't have dr- shouldn't have had anything to drink but i did festive season i drive get on the lake shore i check i said, sure he goes have you had anything to drink yes i have what would you have to drink? I said, like, a couple glasses of wine with, uh, with dinner, like six hours ago. He goes, pull over. So I pull over. Okay, first ride check. Now, this time, I'm working in a job that requires me to be able to drive. And if I can't drive, there's no Uber at this time. It was about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. So he says, go there, which is easily 50 meters from where I am and you have to walk from your car, get out of my car, turn it off, lock it, and walk 50 meters to where they're gonna do the breathalyzer test. This is a test to see if you can walk there and, and, and be you know coherent. Anyway, I get over there and he says, Okay, have you ever done a breath? Do you accept the breathalyzer? Yes, I do. I said, I said, what are my consequences if I if I don't accept it? What they charge you as if you're as if you're you're drunk? I said, Oh, okay, I don't want that. I said, I'll take the breathalyzer, no problem. So he puts on it to pull up the plastic, does the whole thing, he says, blow, and I blow. He goes, Oh no, 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 no. Empty your lungs. I remember the words, empty your lungs, and I blow. And it's like the price is right. Tick, 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 and up comes the number. And the number has an eight in it, and I know eight is the legal limit. But the number was 0.008 zero eight. Ten percent. Of the legal limit, he goes. You're fine. Here's a coupon. Merry Christmas. Have a nice night. And I walk back to my car. I said, That's it for me with having drinks at dinner. It's over. <laughs> I'm gonna stay straight, and that's it. So two incidents in thirty in thirty years in Ontario, and um, a couple of incidents in in uh, Montreal. Here's what I learned. When I became a professional, I was doing my thing in cybersecurity. I went to a company, downtown Bay Street. I'm dressed to the nines. I get in the lobby and the guy comes out of the room and he goes, Wayne Harris? To every white person in the room, doesn't even look at me. And I stand up and say, I'm Wayne Harris. Here's something I learned about neuro-linguistic programming. When someone likes you, the pupils dilate. When someone doesn't like you, the pupils pinpoint. And his pupils, he had ice blue eyes. I love blue eyes, for the reason I can look right into the soul of a person. And there went his pupils when he saw me. I said, oh, it's over. No deal today. We went in. He listened to me. He just kind of tolerated me, and he dismissed me. 24 hours after that meeting, I got a call from Bell to sell the same thing to the company, and the Bell guy had to buy it from me because the guy wouldn't deal with me. So did it affect my professional career? Uh, You know, I did okay. I did okay, I could buy groceries without a coupon. But I can tell you, it wasn't easy always being the only person of color in most rooms that I was doing and practicing my trade. All in all, I'll say that skill in Ontario, at least in the GTA, if you have skills, people will engage you. Even if they really don't like you, if you have skills and some kind of unique quality about what you're offering or who you are, People will still engage you, and I made a career off of being a little bit different than most of the other reps that were coming to talk to people, and a little more engaging, almost an uh, an over an over wow. in emotional intelligence to make people feel comfortable with giving me that one million, two million, three million dollar purchase order. Because somebody didn't want to give it to me, but my offerings were too strong and my case was too tight. And if it didn't give it to me, it would say something more about them than about myself and my ability to do the job. And that was the tightrope I had to navigate above and beyond, hitting your number, hitting your quotas, being a nice guy, doing things ethically. There's always that extra that you can't explain on a resume, you can't explain on a LinkedIn profile, you can't explain in an interview, but everyone knows the elephant's in the room. But no one is discussing the elephant. And that to me is more insidious than the police pulling me over. It's more insidious than the kid in the in the sandbox. It's more insidious than the guy in the army who just like he had he had two two stripes and I had one and he was gonna use his stripe against me. That's petty compared to when you're trying to feed your family, trying to live your best life, and people are just attempting to make it a little bit harder to creating friction when it should, it shouldn't be any, because I've seen people with half my credentials and half my skill and I'm not being, um, you know, I'm not being a braggart and I'm saying that I am somebody who is, I've done, I've paid my price in terms of my skill and my profession. So I know what I bring to the table. I've seen guys who were pegged to be my boss that I'm like, it's bizarre how you are even here. You have—I'm not saying paper means anything, but paper means something in some industries. And these people had zero paper, but they played in the right hockey league. They—they—they they, they were scratch golfers, and they—they they had cottages on the same lake. And I—I I didn't have any of those things, and they would get promoted. And I knew the corporate game wasn't going to be a, a lasting event for me because these are things I cannot fight I cannot debate so all in all um, from a historic point of view for me it hasn't you know people are gonna say I, I, this is gonna be playing back and people are gonna say what'd you say I said, yeah for me it hasn't been that terrible it hasn't been that terrible all in all those incidents are on one hand maybe in one hand and one finger I can't say the same for a lot of other people, but for me, it hasn't been that bad. The discrimination I've faced, I've seen it um, coming, and I've usually had ways to mitigate it. But maybe I know people with, with who are younger than me with lesser talent that are vice presidents today. So the opportunity cost of, of being a person of color has been there because I might have been tapped on the shoulder in larger companies to become a dot-com millionaire these guys were getting picked by companies in the united states not because they were the best guys but because they looked like the guys who were picking them and they would come into companies and the company would get bought or it would go public and these guys would ipo and i'm like why can't i ipo why why can't one of the top 10 guys in this industry never get selected by an american company or canadian company to be the lead sales guy for a company that's going to go public and none of my friends that look like me got that opportunity. But there are a lot of guys who didn't look like them who were half as skilled, who all got an opportunity to go. com, And that's just the way it is.
0: Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I think really stands out to me about that, that whole conversation, all that, all the stories that you shared and, and thank you for sharing those is the fact that like I have a pretty good memory, but you literally can remember like to the year, of each time something like that happened to you. So as much as you said at the end, like, you know, that it hasn't been too bad for you. I think the fact that those things are sort of burnt into your memory tells me that they're bad enough. I mean, because I, again, you know, I have a pretty good memory, but I can't remember any times in my life where it's something that uh, I don't know if traumatic is the right word, but something of that sort of extreme happened that I now cannot forget about. I mean like four years old, that's fairly young. And, and at four years old, I'm sure it really, didn't even make sense to you because again for as children we again we don't really i don't know again i don't know if we don't seeing seeing race is not the right word to put it but again as a young kid i don't think i ever looked at another kid and was like you're different so we can't be friends because i've never had that issue and i grew up in ontario so like i said maybe that's just part of of growing up
1: well you have to think about it there's 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 overt racism racism and there's covert racism and then there's microaggressions So I didn't talk about the microaggressions because those are daily, like even when I'm in, so I was working for a large uh, big four company and I was a senior manager. I was the only senior manager of my culture in this particular service line, which was risk. They flew me to Montreal to go train the Montreal team, whom I had spoken to on the phone many times. They had flown down to Toronto and I met them. I fly to Montreal, I get to Montreal, I go to Place Ville Marie which is the I guess the preeminent buildings in downtown Montreal. I go to the floor in the building and I come into the lobby. Again, tight navy blue suit, white shirt, cuff links, fresh French cuffs, red tie, you know, battle ready, no facial hair, everything perfect. Shoes shoes military shine and I walk into the reception area and the receptionist looks up at me And goes, we? I go, I'm here to see uh, Marcel Labelle, who was a partner in Montreal, who I was training, by the way. And she goes, why do you want to see him? I go, I have a meeting with him at 9 o'clock. She goes, you have a meeting with Marcel Labelle? I said, I have a meeting with Marcel Labelle. She goes, you might have the wrong area. So I go into my pocket, I pull up my business card. that says senior manager Deloitte and Touche, which means I'm at least six levels higher than she is in the same company. I said, I might have the right business and the right company. He's the right person. I need to talk to him right now. Oh my God, Mr. Harris, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry. She goes back into professional mode and her her English is better than it was before. And I could have spoken French. I mean, my French is is terrible, but I could have greeted her in French and. And done and done the, those sort of things. But I'm from there. She doesn't know I'm from there. And when I hand her the card, she says she sees Wayne Harris. She she assumes I'm from Toronto, and she changes. She doesn't know I grew up three kilometers west of where she is right now. And I, and it's not in my best interest to tell her so because she'll treat me differently and better because she thinks I'm from Toronto. Right. So these are the things I don't mention because is that racism? Is it microaggression? Is is it prejudice? I don't know. Did it affect me? Um, I mentioned it to Marcel. and He had a conversation with her because I wanted to exercise my authority to let her know that if he's a partner and I'm one level below him as senior manager, you should have more respect for people of, of color because there are senior managers that don't look like you. It's the only reason I told Marcel. And he's a great guy. And I told him about it, and I told Pierre, uh, another another uh French partner, and these guys, they were livid, they were pissed. I don't know if she if she kept her job. I don't know what they did. I don't. Know. It doesn't matter. The fact is, someone who looks like you wouldn't deal with that. Maybe because you're English in Quebec. Because in Quebec, there's two things you are. Here, you have to deal with. You have to deal with English, French. Then you have to deal with race. So by moving 525 kilometers west, all I had to deal with was race because I got rid of the language issue just by driving 525 kilometers west. So my odds went up 100 percent. In my favor, just by moving to Ontario, which is why I moved here.
0: Well, it shouldn't ever have to be that there There should be any challenges, to be honest. Like there shouldn't be, there should, in my opinion, there should be zero. And, and I know that's unfortunately not the truth, but it shouldn't matter whether you're 525 kilometers one way or the other. At the end of the day, like you're a human being, you're an intelligent human being, you have the skill set, like you said. So none of that should really matter. And it's unfortunate that, that it does for some people and that some people are so, I guess, caught in, in just seeing things and, and I know it's it's going to sound uh, kind of odd but black and white like you know they, they see things one way or, or the other it's there's no in between like there's just no for that lady there was no potential that you were you know a, a person important enough to see the person that you wanted to see simply well actually we don't really know but we can assume that simply because she just didn't assume that you could have that sort of level of job or, or that importance to to see that person
1: Right. I mean, back in the day, I would wear a blue blazer with gold buttons. I had a pair of gray dress pants, wear a white shirt and a red tie. I had to stop wearing that outfit. My blazer is at the back of my closet. Why? Because a blue blazer and gray pants says security guard. So people started asking me for directions everywhere I went. Excuse me, sir. How do I get to, to TD Tower? Excuse me, sir. How do I get to RBC Plaza? Excuse me, sir. I'm like, why? Oh. Navy blue jacket, blue pants, me security guard, and I'm six foot two and a half, and I'm black, I must be a security guard. Never wore it again. All my suits you'll see me in are, you see on Instagram and Facebook, every color of the rainbow. Why? Because if it didn't have that color and pop, if it's too navy blue or too (laughs) black, I'm a security guard, so I can't do it. My ties have to pop, I have to wear a pocket square, I have to do things that, that let people know even in downtown Toronto, under the shadow of the CN Tower, let them know I'm not a security guard. As my glasses are white, they're not black. I, I do a little something to add a little flavor to my to my wardrobe because if I go too conservative, I automatically get regulated to security guard. It's
0: bizarre. I mean, in some ways, yes, but I think in other ways, not so much because, again, I think it's just these... Uh, the one thing, I'm, I I guess the word or the, the saying that's coming up is something that I've heard about um, you know, on, on other podcasts or read about it is unconscious bias, right? Uh, We, we, a lot of us have unconscious bias. We assume, you know, one thing, I mean, as a small example and it's nowhere near the same comparison, but I can remember at least a handful of times where I've walked into a store and I've had somewhat of the same colors as an employee and somebody walks up to me and asks me if I work there. So, I mean, the unconscious bias is there, but in your case, it's, You know, amplified because of the fact that somebody's just assuming that it's a different job. It's not necessarily, you know, that that you're wearing the same color as your uniform. Well, I guess a security guard's uniform, but it's um, yeah. Again, these are things that I can't imagine ever having to deal with, and I've never have dealt with them to be honest. So, I mean, it's and that's what I mean. It's it's hard for somebody like me who, like I said, grew up in a very multicultural school in a very multicultural system. You know, my friend, I, I think to be honest with you, I've probably had very few white friends in my life. I've always tended to have, you know, friends from every different culture and and whether it's now or whether it was when I was younger. So it's just, it's, it's never been something for that I've understood. And even thinking back to when you got pulled over one of those times that you were talking about, I think it was in Montreal at about three in the morning. Like I can think of one time when I was pulled over and I, and I, I was speeding. I'm not going to say I wasn't, but I can remember giving the police officer attitude and just being like, really like, Cause everybody else was going sort of flow of traffic and I was just kind of like, it's like, how fast do you think you're going? I'm like, I don't know. Like maybe 125, like, I don't know, like, like leave me alone sort of thing. Like, mm. and I can't imagine that, you know, for me, that's something that I can do. But like you said, you sat there hands on the wheel didn't move because you figured if you said anything wrong, did anything wrong, it would mean something, you know, worse than, than what happened
1: that night. Yeah. You know, the, what's changed for me is, if you think about it, if, you are, if you're resisting arrest, you will die in the United States and here if you look like me. But what's happened in the last five years is even when you don't resist arrest, you will die. This is the next level of, of stress on, on, on our people. Because now, hold on, the guy was walking away, he was being belligerent. Okay, we get it. Uh, You wanna shoot. Okay, but the guy is lying down on his stomach, his hands are behind his back, and you have your full body weight on his neck for nine minutes. Really? We're like, he's complying, he should not be dying. So now we know compliance isn't any protection because. I've seen videos where the person is on the ground on their back and the, and the cop is screaming, stop resisting arrest, stop resisting arrest, and then the cop shoots. I've uh-huh. seen enough of those videos. And I noticed that the videos, someone said this to me the other day. They said, why do they only show the videos of the cops killing the blacks? Cops shoot, on a, cops shoot absolutely more whites than blacks, but the black death is publicized and shown all over the internet because it's almost as acceptable behavior and it desensitizes us from the death because if you think about all the people that are shot by all the white people or non-black people that are shot by cops you never see it on the news you only see the black death so it's like hmm that means black death is normal for the police which is why when they don't get convicted people burn the village but the cops are killing everybody they just publicize ours because ours has been desensitized michael vick spent more time in jail for killing dogs than cops spent in jail for killing blacks just to put things in perspective so when black life is that cheap and you're a black man and you have a black son you you it causes a level of anxiety that that um i can't explain to people who don't have black sons I understand their sympathy, but they can't empathize. And when he wants to go out and I've raised him to believe that he is, you know, you're Canadian, you're born in Canada. I was born in Canada. You're Canadian, second generation Canadian. So you have the right to move around freely. No, you don't. Because if you wear a black hoodie and black jeans or black running shoes and black pants and you walk into square one and the alarm bell goes off, you could be minding your own business. You're going to get tackled. Not because of anything other than your race. So he has to be mindful of that. He went through and navigated four years of university and came out fairly unscathed. But when I think about, about what he's gonna be in store as he go tries to navigate 30 years of corporate Canada, how he's gonna be perceived, because he he's a different beast than me. I'm I'm a little more rough around the edges because I've been on my own since I'm 19. He's been living the 905 suburb life, (laughs) right? Square one, dad, can you drop me here? Dad, can you drop me there? You know, he's been living that life. I was like, what time's the bus coming? And let's get to the stop. That's how I grew up. So he, he is very, very sensible. He's very, very in tune with it. He has friends like you of all races and cultures and creeds. And they celebrate each other to a point. But there's still a very, um, there's a pressure on him that he's he's not black enough, whatever black enough means. And it's interesting because they expect him, you know, when he told people that he was going to study computer science, they were like, it was incongruence. They were like, what? what? Do you, what do you mean computer? Yeah, I'm going to study computer science. My dad's in cybersecurity. What? They're like, no. He had he had kids asking him about, you know, you posted that you went skiing on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like to ski. I like to ski. Yeah, we go to Blue Mountain, it's great. Stay at the chalet. You're like, what? No. It, it it it's hard because the narrative for what blackness is and isn't has been defined by the media and by the hip-hop industry. And we're none of those things. But as you can see. I'm, I'm fully melanated and of African descent and proud to be, but there are socioeconomic levels. The battle that we're fighting is race, but race is, race is a distraction. I saw this post on the, on Instagram. It said there are two bags of blood and it said Um. to the racist, choose the white one. Right. I'm like, I like this post. I think I'm going to post that two bags side by side both red so race is a uh, easy way to distract the masses from what's really happening in the world and racism comes out when the economy is bad and when the economy is good no one's racist because everybody's got a job everybody's got a car everybody's got a house everybody's got Nike's and everybody's great but when the economy goes south racism rises because they believe it's a zero-sum game. Zero-sum gain, i.e. if I win as a visible minority, they are losing. And this, this is what is being sold in the United States. Think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. On the bottom, you have physiological needs. Can you get food and shelter? Then you have safety needs. Can you get to and from where you want to be without being accosted? Then self-esteem, then love, relationships, and then self-actualization. When you got a lot of people like me all over the world in the first two levels, right? This is where the battle and the crime and the and the and the the disrespect of of humanity happens on the first two levels. And you see that everywhere in the globe when China said, "Hey, you know what we're going to do?" Uh, we have a coronavirus issue in in uh, Wuhan. what we're going to do is we're going to expel all the Africans from China as if they are the carriers of COVID-19? Oh, the only ones. And now you can't come into the mall, and you need to leave. You paid your rent, but you can't stay in your apartment. What? 2020. Okay, not 1820, not 1920, 2020. China. Where are the sanctions? What? Well, no. What? Where's where's the mention at the UN? What? What? Where's the mention on? No. What? Okay. All right. So George Floyd. Rest in peace. He's gone. Some people are like, we're, we're going to protest. This is it. The strata broke the camel's back. There's him and uh, Ahmad Aubrey,
0: Brandon Taylor. I think there was a few in like a matter of like yeah. a week or so. there. In a
1: couple, in a couple of weeks. And, every, and everybody's getting killed and everybody's getting off. And the only way, the only way justice is served is once enough things burn, and enough people go run to the street and protest. And then action is taken. Imagine how it feels to be from a culture where only if you have massive global protests will the white powers that be indict the police that's what it took that's what it took
0: Matt, no it's it's like i said again for me it's it's hard to because to obviously I, when i see it on the news i don't watch the news a whole lot because unfortunately the news is 90 percent negativity and so i try and stay away from it but know when when i see it i don't and that was sort of one of the next questions i wanted to ask is like you know what what like emotions what like what comes up it sounds you you brought up a bit of stuff that when you start when when you saw what happened in the last week or so you talked about you know sort of being worried for your son and stuff like that but like what really arose because again for me it's like i see it i get it's it's horrible it's inhumane it shouldn't happen but I don't know that it it hits me or affects me the same way. So if you wouldn't mind, just like what, even though it's been south of the border, how has it affected you?
1: Well, it's not south of the border because last year, there was a gentleman walking around in Durham region early in the morning and two cops were in their driveway. And these guys chased this guy and beat him with a stick and and blinded him in one eye. Uh, That's about 50 kilometers from where we live. (laughs) Okay. So it's not in the south, unless it's south pickering. (laughs) <laughs> Just, which is uh, right next door. So not to make light of, of the issue, but what I feel is that people were compelled. I was compelled to do an analysis, do a checkup of, am I vulnerable? Am I vulnerable here where I live? Is my son vulnerable here where I live? From the authorities that are paid to protect us, are we vulnerable? And the answer is yes. Is there oversight? Will these people be held to the standard that they should be held if they violate the trust between them and the public? The answer is no. There will be no charges. The SIU will not do what it's supposed to do because it's all friends taking care of friends. So, when you know you have no advocacy and you have no voice, because it, again, protesting is a first step. Once you protest, what are we supposed to do? Well, I need to see policy change to avoid those situations from happening again. Those policies don't change, they stay the same. So it's, uh, you know, someone said the technical term is the okie doke. You get the okie doke, right? Okay, we're listening to you. Black Lives Matter. Okay, everybody go home. Bye. And then we wait for the next one and they go, Oh, you know what? We haven't had, we haven't had an inquiry. We have not formed a commission. We have not brought people. If we have a commission, we haven't brought anybody of color on the commission to balance the narrative of the commission. Yada, yada, yada. So we see this and we know we're, we're by ourselves. We're, we're on our own. We're on our own. No one is looking out for our, 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 um, our best interests. We're on our own. That, my friend, is a very, very scary thought, that in Canada, a G8 country, in Toronto, the most diverse city on the planet, we're on our own in 2020. If, if Bonnie Crombie, John Tory, Doug Ford, and Justin Trudeau are not willing to put legislation and oversight with teeth in place to rid the institutions that take taxpayer dollars from harming me and people that look like me, then it's all lip service. It's the okie doke. So I don't, I, I, you and I are both in sales. I don't listen to what anybody says. I wait for the PO, <laughs> right? When I get the PO, then I know what you're saying is true. Until I get the PO, it's all lip service. So I want the city council who is part and parcel of funding the police to make sure that anybody who has a history of not being very nice to people for no reason other than their socioeconomic level or their culture to remove these people proactively. Because listen, in the day of artificial intelligence, if I put your file in there and I have certain flags, you get enough flags. Yeah. You need to do something else. I ha- we have the ability to mine the data to see the patterns that you're going to be a problem for these communities. But proactively, we're not doing anything because we have a very strong union. We have a very strong lobby. We have a very strong advocacy of people who like things because there's a lot of jobs, a lot of industries that feed off of the negative elements in society. A lot of them, especially in the United States, is privatized prisons, bail bondsmen, all yeah. these people get paid for keeping things status quo. And all of these people contribute to campaigns for people in Congress and Senate to maintain the status quo. So Canada, from that perspective, isn't as evolved in their insidious nature of, of preying on the, on the poor and unprotected but we can move in that direction pretty quickly i mean you have to look at how we treat blacks and how we treat aboriginals natives in this country treaties are just suggestions they don't mean anything whenever they want the land they just go and get it right it's unbelievable so we 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 are in a glass house we can't throw stones at, at what's going on south of the border because we have our own issues that we don't see in Toronto, but talk to anybody who lives in Hamilton, but talk to someone who lives in Caledonia, talk to someone who lives in areas where there are natives, um, aboriginals, indigenous. I'm trying to find the word, yeah, indigenous yeah. people, right next door to them. There's tension there. And and this is this is this is the echo of colonialism, it's the echo of eugenics, it's the echo of systematic and institutional racism and although i have ascended i am in the minority i'm an outlier a lot of people that look like me are still suffering from the echo of not having the care that they should have received financial and otherwise um, over the years think about this a soldier goes away to war comes back and they have PTSD for the rest of their life, four years. What about 400 years of enslavement and then freeing you with no money? You can't read. You can't write. You have no money. You can't own anything. And that was just 150 years ago. I'm in my fifties. Yeah. You understand? So 1895 in the United States to 1965 and 1965 to today those are the three those are the three categories of of um of existence we're only 50 some odd years on an equal playing field
0: and even then it's not necessarily all that equal if we're being honest with ourselves right right?
1: all right so i mean so so people are people are looking at us as as a as a culture and they go why can't you guys get it together what tools would you have to get it together?" How, it's like, I, I it's baffling, but pe- people are, people are wondering, you know, why can't you just like stop, just stop for a second, and make a decision that you're going to learn how to read. In an area where the schools are terrible, where the books are terrible, where the internet access is non-existent, where the computers are shared by 15 kids, that kid finds a way to get out, but against all odds i I'm, I'm I'm struggling to find a way to fix it. I just don't know if there's enough manpower and enough um, energy to want to do something because it's easier to just marginalize and and imprison than it is to try to fix the problem because you can't fix a problem during one presidential cycle.
0: Yeah, four years. It's,
1: yeah, four prob- years
0: for four hundred. <laughs> it doesn't work.
1: Yeah, it, it was a problem created in 1619, as a problem that they ended in 1895, and the echo of that problem is going from 1895 till now. Because if you if you have a great grandmother, and she was a slave, and the grandmother wasn't was a sharecropper, and your mother learned everything from her mother and her grandmother, and then you come along where are you getting your example from? So you have to, you know, nature versus nurture. You got to pull that person out of that situation, put them into another situation and then give them a chance to elevate it. Well, I don't know how you do that in Toronto uh, when there's, there's no place to go for these people. If you live in a certain neighborhood that's been deemed a certain way, there isn't anything you can do to walk up and down those streets where they're not going to suspect <clears throat> you're a problem, mm-hmm. right? Guilty before, before innocence is, it's, it's, it's a tough one to crack.
0: One thing that I want to uh, touch on a bit um, is, is that you mentioned a few minutes ago was sort of being proactive. You mentioned like, you know, that we could go through sort of records and start picking people up. But I think even aside from that, just being proactive period, I, I've heard a lot of things, Um, in terms of having training implemented where we can sort of now either whether it's training or even just uh, testing of some sort where we can sort of make these decisions before uh, you know somebody's employed or or you know and and I guess we're talking mainly about like police forces here but rather than them just sort of being able to here's my resume you're employed finding ways to make sure that you know we can either test them to, to see if there's any maybe pre um uh, I don't know, I I'm trying to figure out what the word is here, but if there's anything where they've already have maybe uh, some discrimination that's already underlying, it's something right. that's, they've already, that, that's already within them, or even if it's, again, some sort of training that desensitizes. Because I think, like you said, a lot of it is the fact that, you know, with the media and everything like that, it sort of it, it trains our brains to think a certain way, right? And if right. you're a police officer and that's happening, and then you're supposed to be like serving and protecting, like you said, but yet you're, you're being, you know, uh, I guess the word, I, you're having like these mind games played with you, I guess, in a sense, it's that much harder now to then sort of keep yourself with a level head when you're going through these moments. And again, like I said, you know, if we talk about right now in particular, you've got the stress of 20 other things with the economy and COVID and everything. And now you're going to have something else that's sort of, you know, messing with you and you're trying to keep that clear head. So I think proactivity is is definitely one thing. Is there anything else that you can think of? And I mean, you mentioned a few things there, but is there anything else that you can mention that you can think of for the average person? I mean, you're, you're talking politically, which like you said, it could take time, right? I mean, four year presidency or four year as a prime minister, it's not a lot of time even if you get another term and another term, there's still, you know, a hundred other issues, right? Is there anything that is just a, you know, myself or anybody out there that's listening to this, would you say there's anything that we can do or anything that you can come up with that we can do to either understand the situation better, help with the situation, whatever it might be?
1: Oh, great question. And uh, again, I appreciate you giving me a form to voice my opinions and they're my opinions i don't speak for the black community i speak for wayne harris and this household that i'm in what i believe is simply this you know, definition the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results and all levels of government seem to be insane right i know that the 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 powers that be are looking for an easy solution that will get the sound bite to say that they saved the day. But this is I, I'm tired of people focusing on symptoms. Right? Symptoms. Don't you don't focus on the symptoms, you focus on the cause. And the cause nobody wants to come to terms with because the cause is deep rooted into the fabric of who Canada claims it is. Doug Ford got on TV and said there there's no there's no racism in Canada. Last week, and he had to retract that, and 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 then give us money uh, after we we you know we we went off on him on 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 Twitter and online, just to make that statement. Uh, with all his handlers, PR people, all these people, and he could still make that statement. It it, it speaks to his privilege to do so. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here I am in Canada, one of the greatest countries on the planet. Love my country, and. I want Canada to love me. I don't want people who've been here telling me where where, where are you from? Where, where I'm from? I'm from Montreal. Where are you from? Right? <laughs> well, no, no, where are you from from? Now my flags are here representing my my culture from the back. The Canadian flag is too big, right? But this is who we are. This is this is where our foundations are. But I'm Canadian, born and raised. So I want to be respected at the same level as anyone who's been here. We have Canadians that look like me who've been here 10 and 11 generations in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Ontario. And they don't get the respect that they should. They've been here 10 generations, but there are people who've been here too that believe they're more Canadian than them. So we need to stop lying to ourselves and stop the delusion and come to objective reality and deal with what's going on. There are some imbalances economically and socially, we need to fix those. I'm not going to blame it all on society, we have to make better decisions as individuals. I will not judge the police as a monolithic entity nor should they judge me as a black male as a monolithic entity. I judge each policeman Policewoman as an individual, and they should judge me and everyone who looks like me as an individual, and we'll have a better time of interacting with each other. That's the first ask. The second ask is economics. Economics, economics, economics. Those of you who don't look like me that believe that we should have a fair shot in this country should work with us, should hire us, should Mentor us and should give us as much a shot as anybody else. And if we perform, give us more shots. And if we don't perform, let us know why and we'll try to do better next time. All I want to do is be able to compete and be treated fairly. That's it. I'm not asking for any favors, right? Other cultures have been um, given reparations for what they endured. The Japanese, the Chinese, the indigenous people, have all been given reparations for what they endured. Some for as little as four years. Some of the cultures for, uh, in foreign, foreign countries, they were given countries as reparations. They were given a country as reparations for six years of their, of, their, um, of, of their situation. 400 years, zero. Yet here I am on the phone with you, on the Zoom, having a conversation, living in the suburbs, doing my thing. So you have to look at not where people are, but where they came from and judge people on an individual basis and don't have the, the criteria sliding one way or the other. I understand there's unconscious bias. That's fine. But if the unconscious bias affects me negatively, that's when it becomes racism. I don't care if you like cheesecake and you don't like strawberry cake or strawberry shortcake, that's a prejudice. But the day you don't hire me or let my company work for your company or with your company because of your cheesecake versus strawberry shortcake issue, then it's racism. It's only when you act on it negatively against the other culture is when it becomes racism. Unconscious biases may be able to fix them, maybe not. I'm not here for that. I'm here that when you want to weaponize your unconscious bias or conscious bias against me, that there are systems in place at all levels of government to wipe that out so you can't affect me negatively. That's what I'm asking all levels of government to do, and that's what we need to advocate for as people of the African diaspora.
0: So in terms of like um, the petitions and stuff that I've seen popping up and everything like that, have you seen anything in that sense that maybe, you know, our listeners should should look out for, should try and sign up for, is that something that you think will help or is it, is there more to it? Is there, you know, lobbying? Is it like, I, I, cause again, I don't know what the answers are and, and maybe you don't either, but is there any ideas that you can again give myself or even our listeners to say, okay, you know what, you listen to this episode you're you may be a little fired up i mean i'm standing here right now and just sort of in a sense lost for words because again i don't i i know you pretty well i mean we've been friends now for some time now and you know i i would have never in a million years thought a lot of these things because we don't have these conversations on the regular. You came into my house. We get along. We still get along. We joke around. We have a good time. So I wouldn't have even thought about you know having this conversation had it not been what's going on. So is there anything that you can think of? Like I said, maybe it's lobbying, maybe it's petitions that that yeah. we can do um, aside from just having these conversations.
1: Right. So you know, just like we, when people get shot in the United States, we say thoughts and prayers. You know, they have a they have a mass shooting. Thoughts and prayers. It's not about thoughts and prayers anymore. It's about policy. Help us put policies in place to stop what is happening in the States from jumping the fence and coming up here. Put, help us help you to help us, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what, what I'm basically saying is this, but those of you who are not affected by, by racism because you come from a culture that is, is not coming your way, that doesn't mean racism doesn't exist. It just means it doesn't exist for you. So what I want you to do is I want you to to enlist and have dialogue with people who are of color and ask them, ask them, what can I do to help? And then when they tell you, if it's reasonable, do it. (laughs) How about that? that? So no, no, but just, you know, everybody has somebody who, who is culturally different than them, ask them genuinely. And when they give you an answer, be prepared to either do it or help them enlist resources to do it. And then we all win. We all win.
0: I think it's the, the, what I'm taking away from that is it starts small. Like we don't have to do anything huge. I don't have to tomorrow walk over somewhere and, and hand them thousands of dollars and say, here, this is, you know, my way of helping. It can be something as small as starting a conversation. And then from there, like you said, what's the next small step, whether it's a petition, whether it's lobbying, whether it's whatever it is that we can do to help.
1: Listen, when you're in, when you're someplace where everyone looks like you and no one looks like me and they start saying things about people that look like me and you're in that room, your silence, your silence is unacceptable. We, we No, you're not an ally. If you don't say a word, you need to call, you need to check that person, check that person. And let them know they're going to continue to be checked. Don't be an asshole. And don't allow assholes to thrive in your presence. That's Just doing that, we can solve a lot of problems in this country and other countries. If we just have the good people check the bad people. If the good cops check the bad cops, we'll have less bad cops. If the people who are not racist check the people who are racist, we'll have less racists. It's pretty simple.
0: Yeah, no, like I said, it, it's it's a simple start, right? It, but we got to start. That's the key. It can't just be something we continue to talk about and nothing happens. I want to try and 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 finish this off here in a couple of minutes because I want to respect your time. But I want to try and finish it off on a slightly lighter note if we can, because I mean that this has been a pretty heavy episode, which I expected. And and again, I'm still really happy that you know in such short notice that you decided to come on and support me in doing this, because like I I just want to do my part, whatever small step it is. If it's releasing a podcast series and you know wiping out my guests of this week whatever like it's my i need to do something and this is what i felt i could do but to sort of go on to that later note i guess if we can you know i'm just trying to think okay for me like i said it wasn't that hard for me to reach out to you and be like wayne you know here i am i'm not feeling that comfortable what's going on i don't really know what to do i don't really know what to say because i've never really dealt with these issues but if if you're somebody who's out there right now And, you know, if you could, is there an icebreaker or something that you can think of? Is there something like, you know, it's funny, the whole like part of the time that we've been talking, I've been thinking about like food right? Food's been a huge icebreaker for me. I love Caribbean food. It doesn't matter where in the Caribbean it comes from. My mom's, one of my mom's best friends, Trinidadian. I've had Jamaican friends. Food has always been an icebreaker because I can talk food with every different culture and and it doesn't matter. And and it brings us together. But I don't know if that's the the best example. But the point is, is, is there anything that you could sort of maybe for somebody that doesn't have as many friends from different cultures or has an uncomfortable time sort of starting these conversations is there any sort of things that you can think of that could be an icebreaker that could you know maybe help people out just to sort of get that conversation started so that we can get to that next step
1: yeah it it starts with questions and not statements and the first question you should ask is your statement starts with i see what's going on in 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 the world and in certain communities, including your own, and I I I feel badly about it. How can I help? And shut up, and do what they ask you to do, within reason. Yeah. yeah. And you're good to go. <laughs> we can't we can't we can't end on a light note on something that is uh, a 200-pound man with his knee on yeah. my neck. Yeah. I, I wish I could give you it, but I can't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. It, it is is a heavy time for everyone who looks like me. And because we're wondering, how bad is it going to get before it gets better? This is, this is the beginning of, 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 of a change. Just like COVID is the beginning of a change. This is the beginning of a change. And no one knows what that change is going to be. And people are not scared, but people are weary of, the, of people talking and not doing. We have to hold people to account. So how can I help? That's all I would say. Hey, I see, you know, if, if, if context is, you know, knowledge is king and context is queen. So if, if it's not the right time in the right place and the right person, it could go wrong. So I suggest you just continue being a great person, continue being open and honest. And when the opportunity presents itself, you can say that you how you're feeling and say, would you mind having a conversation with me about something that's very sensitive as it relates to uh, different cultures? And if they give you the green light, then you can have your statement as your icebreaker and ask how you can help, and you should be fine. But don't assume everybody has this as uh, part of their agenda because they look like me. They may not. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then it's going to come across as disingenuous
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, cool. I think the, the one thing that you said there that I think is what could maybe be the iceberg that we can pull out of that is maybe start with a simple, how are you feeling? And I heard that on a podcast the other day where they, they were talking about all, everything that's going on. And and the gentleman who was being interviewed said, he starts the conversation with how are you feeling? And that might be our simple way of starting the conversation. How are you feeling? And then from there, see how open they are to continue the conversation. But I, again, Wayne. Yeah. Like I said, I, I I totally understand not finishing on a late note. I was just trying to see if there was something we could get there, but I, I get it. it it's, I want
1: to give it to you, boy. But yeah, it's it's, it's a
0: heavy, time. yeah, it's a heavy topic, and and I get it. And but like I said, I I appreciate you a ton, man. Like like I said, I reached out to you, I think what yesterday morning, and said, you know, do you have time for this? Um, you know, I I just like I said, I was just trying to think, what is it that I can do? I don't have a huge platform. You know, it's not like my podcast has millions of listeners but nonetheless it has listeners and i want to be able to help people like yourself and other people who are confused like i am to trust to try and get some messages out there get some conversations started and i think this one will definitely help start some, it's definitely given me some things to think about. I, I want to definitely have a conversation with you aside from this at some point, um, you know, maybe not as long, but just a shorter conversation. To food. Say, what can I do? Since
1: COVID's over food. Yeah. We'll go, we'll for food. go for
0: some food. Perfect. Sounds like, sounds like a plan to me. <laughs>
1: I, appreciate, I appreciate you. I appreciate the platform. I appreciate what you're trying to do and what you're doing and you know what? You're taking action and you're asking questions and you're learning and growing. And that's what it's all about. Brian Almeida, 2020. June 7th is better than Brian Almeida June 6th 2020 because you're doing things to stretch your brain, change your perspective and learn. And that's what more people need to do is learn about how we got here, not about what's happening here. How do we get here? And what can you do to undo some of the things that other people are saying, uh, nothing I can do about it. Yes, you can do something about it. what, is, what are those things and how can you be involved? And with that, I have to close, my friend.
0: Awesome. Well again, thank you. And uh, and we'll we'll keep in touch and take care, man. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.
1: Cheers, Brian. Cheers. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. And follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.